Stuart Holman here. Good to be with you again for part 7 of our series of devotionals in the book of 1 Samuel, where we're exploring the tension between David's anointing as God's chosen king of Israel and King Saul, the rejected king who's still on the throne. Previously, we've seen David come to the conclusion that his only safety from Saul's publicly declared plan to kill him is to flee into exile, even exile among the Philistines. But at the back end of 1 Samuel chapter 21, the Philistines realize who David is and they quickly warn their king, Achish. Uh, David's only plan is to pretend he's insane, which buys him enough time and space to, to run away from Gath and once again hide, this time in the cave of Adullam. For David, without any safe home, even amongst Israel's enemies, exile means life on the run. He managed to persuade the king of Moab to shelter his family, even his parents, but David himself has to move from place to place to place on the fringes of society, always alert to danger, always in motion, with King Saul trying to track him down, to outflank him and to capture him. Informers and spies and opportunists were Saul's best sources of information, especially when the sympathies of his own son Jonathan and many of his military were already with David. Uh, one such informant was Saul's chief shepherd, Doeg. Uh, chapter 22, verse 9, But Doeg the Edomite, and remember Edomites can't be trusted. We learnt that from Israel's wanderings in the Exodus. So Doeg the Edomite, warning, who was standing with Saul's officials said, I saw the son of Jesse, that's David, come to Ahimelech, son of Atahab, at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and, and the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent for the priest Ahimelech, son of Atahab, and all the men of his family who were priests at Nob, and they all came to the king. Saul said, Listen now, son of Atahab. Yes, my lord, he answered. Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him, so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me, as he does today? Now, Ahimelech protests his innocence. He, he assumed that David and his men were on a mission for Saul when he offered them assistance. He believed the public narrative of David as the trusted king's son-in-law and, and the loyal and, and uh, very famous military officer, the good guys. He had no reason for suspicion. But Saul orders the guards at his side to kill Ahimelech and all the priests of Nob. They refuse, so Saul orders Doeg to do the killing. 85 unarmed, innocent, consecrated priests. And then later that day, the whole priestly town of Nob with its men and women and children and all of its livestock. Only one priest, Abiathar, escapes and he reports this devastating news to David. Abiathar will reappear in the David narrative, but for now, David is filled with grief. He accepts responsibility. He should have known Doeg would betray him and therefore implicate the priests of Nob. And so begins this pattern whereby God's anointed king on the run and in exile he is betrayed by the wicked. Immediately after hearing of his betrayal by Doeg the Edomite, 
David is told by the Lord to go and save the town of Keilah, which is being attacked by the Philistines. Now, this is very, very dangerous. Keilah is in the heartland of Saul's kingdom, but the Lord confirms that's what he wants David to do. And so David completes the rescue before he and his, his militia make their escape into the desert of Ziph. Now, Ziph is about 50 kilometers south of Bethlehem. And so David might have expected a little bit of hometown support. But once again, David is betrayed, this time by the Ziphites. They send messengers to Saul with very accurate information. So David is on the run, and this time Saul's army are closing the noose, getting closer and closer, until Saul gets an urgent call for help from elsewhere in his kingdom where the Philistines are attacking. So the, the chase is called off and David is spared, foiling the work of his betrayers. If chapters 22 and 23 of 1 Samuel represent this season of David's exile, where he's, he's on the run from Saul, well, we observe a pattern of both betrayal and salvation. Either side of David rescuing the people of Keilah, he's betrayed by wicked men, first by Doeg the Edomite and then afterwards by the people of Ziph. God's anointed king, even while saving those who actually have no real claim upon him, he is betrayed by those who have evil intent. Now for the Christian, this, this motif is kind of familiar. The imprint of the Christ, of God's plan for Jesus, established in advance the, the patterns and the forms of the Old Testament. David's time in exile prepares Christians and, and gives us a language to understand how Jesus can be the Messiah, God's anointed king, and yet he is betrayed terribly more than once. And as he awaits his final vindication and revelation, his king of kings and lord of lords, well, we've seen it before in David. You know, sitting with this narrative has left me wondering, I guess, about David and about the mindset of someone who is betrayed. We don't know the inner thoughts of the Lord Jesus Christ in his experience of betrayal, but we do have a window on David's mindset. Uh, our reflection takes us to one of the more uncomfortable places in the collection of the Psalms, to the group of imprecatory Psalms, where the aggrieved cries out to God for justice. Importantly, the psalmists in this situation don't enact justice or take it into their own hands. No, the aggrieved cries out to God in their psalm. And so to the venom-filled Psalm 52, which David wrote in response to his betrayal by Doeg the Edomite. The superscript begins... For the director of music, a masculine of David, when Doeg the Edomite had gone to Saul and told him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. That superscript, it's part of the canonical text of the Psalms. It's, it's in there. This wasn't inserted by some later uh, publisher. Uh, so David writes, Why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It's like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He'll snatch you up and pluck you from your tent and he will uproot you from the land of the living. 
the righteous will see and fear. And I'll laugh at you, saying, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you, God, have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. Now, as I said before, we don't know if such a prayer could be on the heart of the Lord Jesus in, in the same way that Psalms like Psalm 22 clearly were on his heart at certain times. But what we do learn about here, I think, is the response of the godly to their betrayal. As uncomfortable as this psalm is, it turns our eyes to God for justice. In praying such a prayer, the, the faithful entrust themselves to him instead of plotting vengeance. Just as David, just as the Lord Jesus Christ depended upon God for their vindication, perhaps psalms such as this one are a help for the Christian should they experience betrayal.